I'm so glad to be able to say that uh, you're back for a second uh, session uh, with me. Um, it's yeah, a pleasant surprise because the way that we ended it last time was more or less like, oh yeah, I'm um, you know, hopefully I can speak to you before the end of the year because of these plans I have and so on. Um, so it's wonderful to have you back so soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Good morning, good afternoon or evening, whenever you're listening to this. Um, Absolutely, yeah. We are, when we're recording this, um, I'm so happy to be back. I think um, I got so, so much overwhelmingly positive response um, from friends and even people that I didn't even know that well, from the research forum, from, from everybody. Um, they really loved the first episode, so thank you to everybody who listened, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak and share my thoughts and something about my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's, a, it's a, I think it's a very positive um, experience to have because um, it helps to remind us that you know we are each special to people to others and you know they value that they value our thoughts they value our experiences and um just for that reason it's sometimes important to have these opportunities to to express ourselves and, and you do it so well um you know I, I don't really have to do anything to be honest so i just press uh, record on and, and you do everything else so thank you well yeah. i have to say this is um as a child, I would be, I would have no problem being on the stage and dancing in front of hundreds of people. That was not an issue. If I had to speak on the stage, I would be petrified. <laughs> I anything you want, just don't make me talk. Um, and then now I was, I was reflecting about this after the podcast and I said, you know, there we go. I've grown. I can see, I can see the trajectory um, going all the way up. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when yeah, it's 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 good to have these nerves. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do remember once listening to uh, an interview with um, a singer who probably had you know thousands of huge concerts under his belt, and uh, he said, you know, if you don't feel the butterflies in your stomach before you go on stage, that's when it's time to stop. So, um, you know, it's I don't think we should be afraid of that of that little that sense of fear. Perhaps um, it's it's a question of how. Um, how we sort of learn to master it or learn to deal with it, essentially. So, you know, it's an inspiration. Yes, I agree with that. I, I don't remember who said that to me early in life as well, but they said, if you're not afraid of it, then it means you don't care. Um, mm. If you, you know, if, you, if you're not having any sort of emotions and uh, then you don't care and then you probably shouldn't be doing it at all. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's got to have value, doesn't it? I mean, in, but in everything that we do, um, you know, you can, for example, sit down and recite a poem and you do so completely naturally. But put yourself into a situation where there are others listening to, where there is uh, a heightened sense of uh, anticipation and suddenly the performance becomes emotional. You know, the, the, the effect becomes more dramatic. And essentially all you've done is this, the very same thing the circumstances have changed 
Um, and, and that sort of leads to uh, a greater intensity. Um, and, you know, from that can come wonderful experiences. Um, but obviously there is the side effect of emotion and, you know, how we deal with it. So I haven't always dealt with it very well myself, I have to say. So you live, you learn, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, I think emotions all, all should always be embraced rather than squashed and sort of forgotten. Um, I think we live in a society where now it's a bit more acceptable in general to have an emotional side to everything that we do. But for so long, it was sort of like, oh, you're, how dare you show any emotion, especially in, you know, what, what I study is politics and and all of that. And um, sort of the less human you are, the more professional you are in some way, which is weird to me, right? Because wouldn't you want your leaders and the people that are, you know, leading the way for you, your children and your future to be human and for you to know that they care and that they also have problems and that they solve them and they grow. Um, so yeah, I, th I think in in any scenario, some sort of showing of emotion and being honest about it is always, always better. Yeah, and, and you highlight an interesting contradiction there because, you know, they, they as you say, people talk about the lack of emotion suggesting professionalism, um, that it suggests that you are, you know, oh, men don't cry, you know, toughen up, you know, all this kind of thing. Um, but on the other hand, when we talk about, for example, artificial intelligence, perhaps being um, a decision making uh, a body for you know, some kind of situation in the future, people say, no, 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 you need to have humans making decisions like that because you, you, know, you need the emotional element. You know, a, a computer's unemotional. Oh, so it's okay for a computer to be emotional, or so the idea, but mm. people doesn't work. Absolutely, it's it's so weird. I know. Um, I think Audrey Lord. She, I had to write a paper on her once, and I fell in love with her. Um, and one of her uh, one of her sort of articles or, or papers that she's written, she speaks about that. She speaks more from the feminist um, and. So as a, as a person of color, she was she was a black woman back in America, I think in the 50s. Um, I might be lying, but I think it was the 50s when she was working the most. And she sort of wrote about how how women should be angry and how you should utilize the anger because, you know, that's an emotion. That's a reaction to something. And then it grows into action and then you start changing things. So she sort of even calls to be emotional and raw and not being afraid of it and not concealing it too much, being like, if this makes me angry, it means something is wrong and something has to change, but also sort of warns to not just stay angry, but also to transform this into action. Um, so I think, yeah, especially women have always been told that, you know, if we are, if we are emotional, we're hysterical. If a man is man is allowed to be angry, a man is allowed to be jealous, a man is allowed to be every single emotion apart from empathetic. Empathetic means you're weak. Empathetic means you're in today's world you would say simp, right? Like you're simping for someone, you're you're you have no spine, you're you're not a real man because you know you you you're, you're falling in love with someone and you you're empathize with someone. Which to me is just such a backwards way of thinking and sadly it's set so deep into our society that it's very hard to change um, and I see like even with my my friends who are dear and I know they don't mean anything you know bad there's still moments where I go oh there's the sort of underlying patriarchy 
um, still shimmering through, although these people genuinely are good people. Um, so emotions mm. are, are a big a, a big part of our lives, and I think we underestimate it. Mm. So what's that word? Simp? Yeah, simp. Yeah. That's what the kids call, let's say, uh, I don't even know if I'm getting this right, but sort of if you're, you know, if you're, so you're simping for someone, you're, you're sort of head over heels for someone, and you would do anything for this girl or whatever so yeah uh-huh. okay all right so I, I thought that was uh, alluding to somebody who was extremely empathetic and i was going to say okay then that's me but okay no no the, uh, <laughs> no it's no. sort of being um overly um involved in it or like overly i, I don't even know how to explain it mm-hmm. um, although it's basically basically being in love with someone and caring for someone maybe broken down um, but for, apparently for a man that's not allowed in this society so okay all right. Well, that's a shame, isn't it? Because <laughs> you, that means you sort of tend to miss out on the best, uh, on the best that you can really get. Um, yeah. Th- th- this thing about empathy, though, it's uh, it's. I understand what you're saying, but I mean, you know, if if somebody asks me what my I suppose individual b- biggest sort of talent is, it, I'd say it's my ability to empathise. Um, because I really feel that you know, if I sit down and listen to somebody for just a few minutes, that I can I I, I hear and I feel um, and you know I think that gives me an advantage because there are so many people who simply refuse to listen refuse to put themselves in another person's shoes um, and and so therefore you know they come to the table with their um, you know pre-consistent preconceptual ideas um, that continues to dominate their thoughts without any any consideration to perhaps changing their minds and and I find that so restrictive absolutely I mean at this point I would like to make sort of clear that I'm not speaking about every single man on the world in the world <laughs> when you say men I mean as a generalized sort of trend same as if you say a woman right we don't mean every woman you mean sort of the feminine the masculine what we see is it a society just so if any anyone wants to attack me now, I don't mean every single one of you. And also, if you do feel very attacked, I think you should rethink why <laughs> in the first mm. place. Um, but yeah, I do I do agree with what you said, that it sort of restricts you. Um, and and I think Elif Shafak, she has this amazing TED talk where she talks about circles and culture and storytelling. And she sort of says that we all have built up our walls around the things that are ours. And then stories make holes in those walls. And we suddenly can peek through to the other side and be like, oh, there's this and this on the other side, you know. And I think that's the most amazing thing that can happen is you expanding your view, expanding your world. It doesn't mean that it changes your reality. It doesn't mean that, you know, just because you're empathizing with someone doesn't mean that you know, you're immediately a good person or immediately, you know, whatever. Um, But I think it is such an important thing that this society is lacking in general. And it's been lacking for a very, very long time. If you look at the history, what we do to each other, how can we, how can a healthy, normal human being even do those things to other people? I, it's, to me, I don't understand that. Mm. And also to also to touch on what you your apology um, for you know you're not saying that to every man, yeah. You know, I I believe that we should always be you know mindful, respectful of the terms that we we use and so on. But we shouldn't 
do this in a way which limits our freedom of speech. So if, if in the moment you feel to say, okay, men, because you're referring to more than one man that you have experienced, that no way reflects upon the entire masculine gender uh, of the human race. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't like political correctness that goes so extreme that people feel that they cannot speak. And um, especially because this is what the, the right throws at people who are perhaps more positioned towards the left and say, oh, you, you know, this, you, you don't want to allow freedom of speech. You want to control everybody. You want to create uh, you know, like a, a society that doesn't have any opinion. No, you know, nobody's saying that. Absolutely. No, actually, funny, funnily enough, I think um, this sort of freedom of speech uh, the idea uh, is that oh, usually sort of um, women or maybe people from the LGBTQ plus community would be the ones to be like, hey, what you said is not quite right, right? Like being like, but funnily enough, when I talk about these issues, men who I talk with are the ones. Well, you can't say that. You can't say that about all of us. And it's that's actually I said it because of the the men <laughs> that have said things to me. Um, so, you know, it's it's quite an interesting phenomenon going on in the society mm. right now where we're sort of, you know, the blind leading the blind a little bit, <laughs> where where it's going. Um, mm. You know, let's hope, let's hope that uh, the bright minds of our futures, uh, of your future will um, persevere <laughs> and sort of make this world a little bit better than it yeah. is. Yeah, but also, I mean, in our first podcast you you talked about how you and other friends you'd sort of decided that you'd you know if a, a male friend of yours said something or if they saw something else happen that you told you sat them down and you said look guys this isn't the way it's got to be you, you've got to do this you've got to think about it this way uh, and so on and you know life's about learning and you know, I'm pretty sure I can remember very clearly actually um, a couple of times you know, many years ago on Twitter that um, I, I was in a conversation with a group of women and they said, oh, men are this, men are that. And I said, look, I'm not like that, you know. Um, and they said, well, if you're not like that, then why are you getting upset about it? You know, um, and exactly the same way that you said. And I think people really need to understand that, you know, you women and other genders need to say that to, to people who feel, you know, okay, I'm not represented by that group of men. Um, but we need to go through that process of thinking, OK, then if you're not, then you don't have to be offended. Absolutely. And um, I think it's obviously it's always tricky to to if you've if you've acted one way your whole life and suddenly a 22 year old goes to you and says, hey, actually, you're being an incredibly toxic person towards this and this particular group of people or especially women, which is like half of the society. Um, and, you know, and, and it's hard for you to hear, obviously. There's ego involved, which everybody has, not only men, but also women have egos. Um, or whoever, every person has an ego. Um, and then it, obviously when it's challenged, when it's something that you've been sort of nearly taught by the society, when you see every other person that is similar to you acting the way you are acting, and suddenly you're supposed to change, for what? So it's sort of like, what do you mean I'm, I'm supposed to change? What do you mean I can't make these jokes anymore? But this is the thing you need to, this is, this is about empathy. To me, when I, I can deal with a certain amount of resistance because I understand that infu infusing sort of change, this sort of massive change into someone's way of thinking 
it doesn't just happen overnight. They have to understand, they have to sort of, you know, absorb the idea, th think it through in their own head with their own reality, and then they might change their ways. But to me, if that doesn't happen, and it's sort of said over and over again and pointed out over and over again, um, I think then it's sort of you're lacking empathy. I think that's, that to me is um, the bottom line. What I said with empathy earlier is sort of people do lack it quite a lot. And I see it all over the place. It's, it's you know, it's racism, it's homophobia, it's sexism, it's whatever, whatever you want to call it. To me, it's lack of empathy and lack of wanting to um, open yourself up to new possibilities and new ways of thinking. But why do you think this happened? Because I'm pr pretty sure that, um, you know, towards the second half of the 20th century, um, now I know at, during the latter half of the 20th century, you were either not around for comment or you weren't particularly analytical at that stage, considering you were probably just born before the turn. Um, but I do remember... You know, I look back now at least and think, you know, it really wasn't always this way. Yes, of course, these problems existed because the problems of today didn't just turn up. You know, they were always there, perhaps simmering beneath the surface. But it was never this bad. I never associated um, you know, everything that happened in society um, with some kind of racist or sexist thought, maybe yeah. because I was so young. But um, do you think that perhaps there the, the this is the consequence of people no longer reading as much as they did before? Because nowadays there's so much by way of entertainment, mobile phones, um, you know, streaming. Uh, there's no you know, reading has taken a back burner because I remember an author once said that the best way to learn or to practice your empathy is by reading a book because you automatically put yourself into the character's shoes as explained to you by the author. So you have to empathize to be able to read. Mm. I think there is, there's so many layers to your question and I don't know if I'm even gonna be able to explore, <laughs> but I have like seven different ideas to why it is as bad as it is. I think sort of to the, uh, to the beginning of the question where you said you know now sort of recently has gotten so much worse I think it's just all come out to the surface I think it was always there but it's just all it has come out to the surface because everybody has a voice right so all the victims have a voice and all the sort of aggressors have a voice too and both can organize themselves you know we saw what happened uh, in a uh, capital uh, at the beginning of the year all the chump people um, mm. wanting to storm and you know or storm the capital previously you know I think it would have not been as easy to organize that sort of spontaneous event more or less uh, than now and it's easier to spread these hate messages right because you know um, even my mom bless her she she told me this like one thing about uh, how passwords on websites are not secure because something and something and I was just sitting there going you've been you fell into you read an article that is just simply not true and she believed it although she's an incredibly intelligent woman um so it can happen to everybody but I think if you sort of 
especially social media, it creates echo chambers. We have echo chambers in our lives. You sort of say one thing and the, the friends that you have around have you, have around you, you don't really have many people that will challenge your views dramatically, right? So you are surround yourself with people who think like you, who have similar views. That's just sort of natural and it's happened all the time. But now with social media, the algorithm is able to keep feeding you the things that you are clearly interested in. So and someone who's on the verge between right wing, wing and left wing, um, if they have viewed a few more posts about, you know, Trump or any other right wing sort of uh, party or whatever, whatever country it is, suddenly this person is getting bombarded by the feed is full of this content. And obviously it sucks you in. It's the same if you, you know, if you want to test this, just go open YouTube and type in something and then see where the videos take you. Just the next video, next video, next video, and it will take you down such a rabbit hole. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why it's so, it's just so out there. It's because everybody can share it and everybody has a laptop, everybody has a phone. Even my grandmother, you know, she has a laptop and she goes down rabbit holes on her own. So everybody is, and there's this lack of like, how do we navigate this social media, this social place, this this internet, right? We don't have the skills. We are taught to, in, in school, I was taught how to make a paint painting, but I was not taught about how do you navigate the internet. And I think that's the most important thing that should be taught in schools nowadays is how do you navigate this space? How do you um, sort of see what information is legit, what information is false. Um, it's, it's something that in university is very emphasized because obviously we want to write academic articles and you can't just use bogus websites. Um, but then on the other hand, it can also be limiting saying, okay, so we're just using BBC. BBC is such a, you know, propaganda machine as any other massive media. <laughs> how do you, you know, how, what do you do? Because it is a tricky thing because everybody pushes their, their own perspective and then one say, oh, you know, this is acceptable. The others say, no, this is acceptable. This is the right thing. No, that is the right thing. So there's a there's a conflict within even who's right, right? Like wh whose voice is the one that is right? But then this morning I saw a video that, for example, said um, the word homo homosexual was introduced in the Bible in 1946. Um, I don't remember exactly what um, it was sort of a group of white Christian men who were um, sort of, you know, anti-gay in, in their spirits. And they sort of uh, have, they mis, mistranslated to a certain extent on purpose the Bible um, and certain verses of the Bible, which were sort of saying, condemning basically um, men who were, unfaithful or you know not good leaders and men who were um, having sexual relations with boys that was sort of the the the, the thing was sort of like a p pedophile is not okay and a man who's abusing his family and his you know or his community that's sort of what the bible says but then it was mistranslated into um, homosexual which then was mistaken by, let's say, you know, and then it was sort of said, it's a sin to be gay, which is actually not really true. It's not actually written in the Bible. And on the other hand, there's no mention of women, as in as in lesbian, there's no mention of that. So there's only hate for men having sex with men, which is, you know, if they meant it, have it being gay is, is a sin, they would have included all of it. 
so there is this thing that there's man-made hate that is sort of um you know blasted all over the society and it just you know takes up in momentum and then becomes part of the society uh, to a certain extent which is horrible in my opinion um and then going even far further back i think there a lot goes back to the christian church um a lot of you know for example women witches were burned because they were doing paganism which is basically half of the holidays in the christian church are the same as pagan holidays or they they celebrate basically the same things across many religions but you know because it was a woman who had power who had knowledge she was burned because she was dangerous so you know all of these things they have very very deep roots and i'm just addressing so you know i by no means am an expert on this but mm-hmm. this is sort of the first things that came to mind yeah you 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 you've uh, sort of uh, scattergunned so much information i mean i wouldn't know where to start um no, i think a lot of what you say is absolutely true um i mean just to get, just to give a few um examples to to support that um um the god the persian god of war i think mithras was uh, was born on the 25th of december and he had 12 generals or 12 followers or something like that is that reminiscent of somebody um dionysius i think it was who turned water into wine as in as you say you know there are certain things which were taken from previous belief structures which allowed for the smooth transition from one to the other uh, and so on um but also the the bbc which you uh don't like well and I don't know if you you may you may like it, but uh, no, I'll well, be really honest about it. I despise them as an organization, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. And my university was right next to BBC Broadcasting, and every time I passed that building, I just thought, "You liars." <laughs> Okay, that's that's a uh, that's okay. That's I mean, hey, we're allowed to have uh, differing opinions. I I actually like the BBC. Maybe the World Service uh, operates on a different wavelength to the daily news that you see. Yeah. Um. That's but that's fair enough. What is interesting though is I, I listen to a BBC podcast, so um, the the history uh, podcast, and um, they had this uh, a lady on who had done research she had basically gone through i don't know decades over, back over 100 years of newspaper articles um tracing um opinions on homosexuality throughout you know the last sort of 100 150 odd years within within the uk um and, and she came to very similar conclusions that you did basically after the second world war um things became far more conservative the church became far more uh, influential within this kind of belief because um you know the, the war had devastated everything and nobody knew what uh, what you know who was in charge what were the authorities so therefore they they, they sort of grabbed a hold of the church as this you know uh, superior belief structure um, and the church turned people within to a certain direction, which was essentially this, um, you know, the classic sort of family set up, um, you know, heterosexual families, the man, the patriarchal, you know, position in society, the woman, you know, sort of stays at home, looks after the kids and so on. Um, but before that, before the Second World War, and even before the First World War, um, society was far more liberal. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think you can also see this um, if you look at the greatest, you know, thinkers in, in a way. I, I'm reading a lot about existentialism. Um, that should also be Raoul's fault. Um, <laughs> he, he indoctrinated me with, he called me an existentialist two years ago and I didn't even know exactly what it meant. And then he's been feeding me um, all this information and this knowledge. And I'm like, actually, I think you're right. I think you diagnosed me right. Um, but, you know, even back then they speak about, you know, all of these um, taboo subjects that we have today to a certain extent so freely and they discuss it. And obviously it's still a tricky subject or it's, uh, you know, sensitive. But um, all of the greatest thinkers uh, that we still reference today, um, not, you know, not saying Socrates or Plato or something, not that ancient, but sort of that always that happens sort of. In, in the times between sort of just pre-First World War and just sort of m until mid-Second World War. And then after that, it just cuts off like a knife, right? Mm. It becomes so much stricter, as you said. And also I was thinking about, I heard something else about how in the United States, the, um, I don't know if this is true, but it's, it's an interesting thought that um, the right wing sort of, um, or Christian right wing um, politics why they're so against abortion is because um, I think they said 57%, not that, that must be a lie, I don't remember the actual number, but sort of saying that the abortion rates amongst white, white women are much higher than like, amongst um, people of colour. Um, and then basically this sort of nearly uh, Hitler-esque idea of, you know, a certain way of how to stay, you know, how to have a pure society, which I obviously don't agree with, but sort of saying, if you ban abortion, you are going to have more white children because, you know, the United States have so many immigrants and so many different people and cultures. And they're sort of afraid that the white Christian family will disappear, which to me is honestly ridiculous. But also that would make sense if you if the church suddenly becomes so much stricter after the Second World War, because we have lost lost so much of our population. And then you go. You know, we're going to say that um, gay anything is wrong to encourage people to have families, to have children, to not use protection, to, you know, produce as much as you can. So I don't know. Maybe it sounds like a conspiracy theory. Maybe it's true. Who knows? But it's definitely a very interesting topic that has been widely discussed, uh, I think, all over the world. It's definitely not beyond the realms of possibility, right? As in, you know, these kinds of, I mean, these things which people so so easily dismiss as uh, conspiracy theory. So many of these things are bound actually in in fact, um, in, in real possibilities. Um, and just because there is no, you know, I don't have a tape recording of a certain person saying this, doesn't mean it, it wasn't said. Um, and I think too much is dismissed as conspiracy theory, especially when there are facts to back them up. Um, and if you look at the Sorry. medical, yes, go on. Um, no, I'm just, I just wanted to say that it's the easiest way to discredit an argument. You just say you're insane. And how, how are you going to argue within, you know, you're insane? <laughs> how can you argue? You can't. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you can just, you know, grow your hair long and go crazy, be like Einstein and stick your tongue out. But um, I mean, if you look at some of the medical statistics, where, which talks about uh, the birth rates, uh, successful pregnancies and so on, um, you know, it is very much skewed towards your average sort of white family. Um, and, you know, 
women of color have you know long since you know observed this identified this the difference of care the uh, difference of attention that they receive um, you know, this isn't something which some person has you know sat in a classroom and thought oh do you know what? I'm going to talk about this today no this is real life you know on the streets this is happening and um, the fact that um, you know it, it can be even considered uh, possible to dismiss this topic um, or even these kinds of arguments uh, is is offensive I think absolutely I, I, absolutely as a woman, I am facing so many things in, in the world, right? But women of color, I mean, I I always shut up if they have anything to say. I just go, yes, speak. I'm here to listen. I, I have it so much easier than you do. And I'm so aware of that. Um, and yeah, this, this typical thing, even in general, I think women are giving much less I think there was this woman who said she gave birth and she had horrible complications and she was giving like given like three days worth of painkillers and her husband he sprained his wrist and he was given painkillers for two weeks <laughs> she's like excuse me I just gave birth and I had horrible complications my whole body's in shreds and sort of that she was like you know we've all heard of this that women are always sort of you know the women's pain have always been um, minimalized to like, oh, you're overreacting or, or you're hysterical. And then she's like, there, there is the example, 2021, there is the example how differently we are treated, right? So yeah. who do you blame? Do, do you blame the doctor, the, the nurse, the society, the systematic, whatever, you know, how, what do you do? How do you address this? How do you change it? Yeah, no, I mean, clearly this is, um, there are levels, it would appear, um, of priorities that have to be followed, uh, you know, with regards to these structures. Um, you know, in every country you see that there is a prioritization towards the male because the male is considered to be the more productive, the one that brings in the more, uh, the most money is the most useful. Um, yeah, it's funny because... Obviously, other men are giving other men more money when women are asking for the same amount of money. They just say no. And then they say we're more important than you because we get more money, which they have self created themselves. It's just hilarious to me. Absolutely. No, absolutely. It's it's uh, yeah. in many ways you can say, yeah, I agree that there are, you know, it, it is funny in its stupidity um, because people believe that they can get away with it. For example, Dominic Cummings saying he had an eye, eye problem or he couldn't see properly. So he drove his family 400 miles uh, in a car because he obviously couldn't see what he was doing. So, um, yeah, the fact that people, you know, swallow this shit, uh, it's it's in itself quite crazy. But yeah, very um, concerning, very yeah. concerning. Absolutely, absolutely. But that would also be a conspiracy theory, right? So we um, shouldn't really talk about it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, quickly, we got an email from one of the secret services saying you need to shut up. <laughs> yeah, and then, but then we can read it out. Exactly. And then, and then we have and, and and that will make us even more popular uh, exactly. as, as an episode. We have yeah. found we have found the the perfect formula for fame. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you you will you you probably got you will get there much quicker than I will. But uh, that's 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 nothing new, I guess. I walk so slowly nowadays. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, this is the longest introduction <laughs> that I've done to a podcast. We haven't even touched any of the topics. Um, but yeah, yeah. But before before we jump into topic number one, uh, congratulations are in order on your degree. You received your um, yeah your diploma. Yes. Yes, I did. Actually, I knew um, I knew the grade for a very long time. Um, I knew I had successfully written my dissertation and gotten a first on it. And then I knew if I get a first in my dissertation, I will also receive a first class um, mark for my degree, um, which, yeah, I, I have a first in international relations. Um, and I'm honestly very happy and I'm so happy I went to University of Westminster I mean, I wouldn't have met. I wouldn't have been speak. I wouldn't be speaking to you today if I hadn't gone there. End of the day. Mm. Uh, so it's been an incredible experience, and so currently I'm in uh, applying to masters in diplomacy and foreign affairs to sort of deepen, deepen my already knowledge that I have. It's more theoretical, um, and so the studies that I plan to do are a little bit more. You learn the skills of mediation a little bit more, and. Um, conflict resolution and stuff like that so let's see where it leads me hopefully towards a phd one day but yes mm. thank you <laughs> yeah i mean because also you, you you speak russian right um yeah so i i do understand completely everything i'd say uh, reading and writing is a bit harder um and i could speak easily but i choose not to speak because i have an accent and i don't like the accent so i don't speak <laughs> But then because I don't speak, the accent doesn't get better. So I'm in this hell loop of wanting to speak and get better, but not speaking because I'm a perfectionist and I don't do anything if I'm not good at it. So okay, interesting. <laughs> something I need to work on. Yeah, so it seems. So it seems. Okay, but, but because I only mention that because it definitely opens up certain channels for you. Um, the 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 relations or diplomatic relations between uh, the West and and, and Russia um, are not exactly you know amicable uh, at present. So um, you know there could be you know, there are always possibilities for people who have uh, a sense of diplomacy, uh, who are intelligent, um, and also you speak both languages. Really cool tool to have in your toolbox. Yeah, I think, I, I, yeah, that's definitely something that I've been thinking about as well. And um, I may, I mean, be that won't be a surprise to any of the listeners, but I am also not an absolute Russia hater, um, like so many in the West are. Mm. So, um, in university, I've always been sort of, uh, some people are like, oh, you, Putin has brainwashed you personally. And I said, oh, I wish, because I would <laughs> love to meet the man. I think he's incredibly interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I've always been interested in sort of what's going on in Russia and how Russia is seen in the Western media and sort of in the West in general. It's it's quite interesting. Me and Rauf had have many conversations about this. So, mm. Well, I mean, I, I'm firmly of the opinion that there is no right or wrong um, in, in politics, but also in life. I think I've, over the years I've solidified this concept a bit more. You know, if we accept that there is no such thing as right and wrong, um, then we perhaps finally can conclude that life is by no means binary. Um, and that, you know, there is an eternity uh, with regards to the variations that can exist between two polar opposites. Um, but we just go to the polar opposites because they're easier for us to understand. Absolutely. Um, and that's unfair, isn't it, on society? 
It's incredibly unfair. And this goes even back to um, to gender now that you said um, binary. Um, I remember le- uh, talking to you earlier, I think last week, and I sort of told you um, that in certain native cultures, I think Native Americans, um, which is like, I think in Europe we more know, uh, know more about Native Americans than other Native cultures, but I think even in Maori, I really don't want to lie about this, but um, they even say, for example, they don't, ha- they don't have a word for, gendered word for aunt or auntie uh, or uncle. You know, they have one word that means, you know, the sibling of the parent. Um, and they sort of speak about how they don't really subscribe to these typical gender roles. And same with Native Americans, right? Like you hear so many um, things where they say, oh, these practices, they're gender fluid. We don't really subscribe to it. And it's interesting to me that it seems that more like older cultures older societies they seemed to take this uh, subject of gender much more easier and it was seen as much more fluid whereas now our society is sort of reached the other extreme and now we're fighting for it to go back to how it was um and that's seen as something very forward and very um you know, liberal and forward thinking and sort of new and how dare you, the the uh, the tradition is man and a woman in a marriage, where actually if you look at history that might not even be that true. Um, so yeah, I do agree with that, nothing in this life is just this or that, it, I think everything is sort of in a grey area, nearly everything, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but grey is an unfortunate colour to put in, so yeah. maybe we, we, it's, it's sort of sunlit and uh, possibilities are there and uh, exactly. it's up to each, yeah. I like um, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because grey sounds boring. I mean, even though grey is the new black, some people say, other people say brown is the new black. I don't know really, to be honest. It, you it know, you, depends you, on the season. Yeah, it could be, could be. I, I'm definitely not a fashionista, so I'm I'm not the person to uh, to talk about this too much. Though I do like shopping, so um, that does make me slightly strange. Um, <laughs> Retail therapy is the best way of therapy. Oh, I tell you, yeah, but it's it's great to be able to go into shops again and sort of feel the material before you make a purchase. But, oh, um, I know. I got a wonderful dress. We went, uh, me and my partner, we went out for the first time um, to Night Tales here in London. Didn't stay too long. Um, but then outside there in Hackney, they have these tiny stalls of like different, you know, CBD gummies and, and dresses and whatnot, you know, different things. And I saw this beautiful dress and I got it or well, my partner got it for me. So I was very happy and it, it felt so, it felt like, oh my God, for, for this one moment, it felt like a normal life again, where you come <laughs> to a club and you buy a dress, you know, <laughs> yeah. how, 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 how has this happened that for two years nearly we haven't had this? It felt so bizarre. Yeah, how is it going at the moment in the UK? I, I don't want to turn this completely to a conversation about Corona, but obviously reading the news there, I mean, cases in Germany are going up as well. So I don't want to say oh, we're better than so there, there's none of that. Um, but how is it going at the moment in the UK? Um, I haven't been keeping up much with the news because I, at this point, COVID is there. I still wear a mask everywhere I go, um, but the restrictions have been lifted. I think officially sort of the lockdown has finally been lifted um everything is open everybody is out and about the streets are busy yesterday was in soho every every shop was filled with people um but i think the cases are still rising and i think um it was quite funny because i knew this is going to happen 
um, after the Euros final, two weeks, exactly one and a half weeks after the cases like doubled or tripled or something. And I was like, yeah, well, what did you expect when you mm. let everybody roam around crazy and get drunk and do whatever? Um, so, yeah, I think they are sort of afraid to tell people, hey, actually, we need to continue um, to be careful and to uh, not just go around and, um, you know, completely ignore the fact that this virus is still around because people are just so starved for entertainment, for anything exciting. Nobody can stand being at home anymore. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a uh, they are mis mismanaging the situation as usual. Mm. I mean, I've, I've often said that humans are naturally social creatures. So, you know, it, it's not natural that uh, the majority of humans would seek seclusion or would seek isolation. That doesn't happen. We tend to levitate towards one another, or gravitate, sorry, gravitate towards one another. We'd like, I'd love to levitate, but <laughs> we, we tend to gravitate towards one another. Um, and we create these communities because we also find safety in numbers. And this has been uh, sort of a focal point in the development of human society. Mm. Um, so therefore, when when governments come out and say, you know, people need to come out again, they need to go back to their normal lives. There is a certain sense that I uh, I appreciate. However, you know, what is the actual motivation behind that? Because we did say that we wanted to talk a little bit about capitalism, and maybe this is a good opportunity to do so. Um, because surely, uh, you know, what is the point of building up capital? If you're not allowed, if you're not uh, alive to spend it. No, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I'm not saying, you know, everybody should be kept in cages until this blows over. Um, I do understand the other side as well, of course, but I think it's the actual measures that they're taking. Right. And um, since the beginning, it was clearly the priority was uh, saving businesses, not saving lives. Right. Um, rather than giving even Jeff Bezos, he cut people's wages during the pandemic when he was making more money than ever before. How does that make sense? He had to pay for the rocket fuel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come and on. Thank you to all the customers and his and his employees. Yeah, I mean that's a piss take, a isn't public, it? Public opinion of him. <laughs> how how can you be this delusional? I mean, I mean, if you're the richest man on earth and you have so much money that you could literally buy the world, I guess you don't care. But I, yes, yeah, I, I, I think that says it really. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, more than more than unfortunate. Um, choice of words from Mr. Bezos. I, I can't, I mean, the thing is, he said it with, you know, he started smiling and laughing. The people with him were started laughing too, but I, I kind of sensed an awkward laughter there and people oh, thought, yes. oh God, what did you just say? Absolutely. It's sort of when your creepy uncle who, you know, <laughs> did a crime, jokes about the crime in a way, it's like, haha, funny, but we all know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of referring to Jeff Bezos. I don't know if anybody's actually called him a creepy uncle before. I'm uh, glad to be the first one. Have you he heard his laugh? His satan satanic, evil character out of a, I don't know, Mar Marvel movie. His laugh is just evil. It's it's a typical laugh of a sort of villain character. It's fascinating how it fits his personality so well. 
Okay, I'm going to write a book with a creepy uncle and I'm going to base it on Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I think not because he's bald, because I'm getting there myself. So I've got nothing to, no problem with bald people. But um, <laughs> it's, yeah, this attitude that he has is just sickening. Um, anyway. And, and, and I mean, that reflects the attitude of capitalism in general, right? Like, it's about everybody fighting for themselves, but also being taken advantage of by whoever is a bit richer than you. Um, and then there's, as I said, there's lack of empathy. There is lack of all of that. That's why professionalism, as we said in the beginning, the more the less human you are, the more professional you are somehow. Mm. And, you know, that's what capitalism is all about, is you just, you know, you work until you drop and then you go home, you eat, you sleep and then you go back to work. And that's somehow supposed to be natural for humans. I mean, how, how, how is that natural? And even about like, I've thought about this so much is um, <clears throat> I saw a statistic, I think last evening, it said that uh, the sort of the boomers, the 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 baby boomers, the generation in the United States, they're hoarding about fifty seven percent of the wealth, mm. right? And millennials have about five percent. Gen X has like twenty something or thirty something, and uh, Gen Z is not even on the statistics. <laughs> also, don't have yeah. So. Congratu congratulations for being so upwardly mobile. Yeah. Um, and you yeah. know, and and that's it. Like this idea of it we have progressed to the point where you can work four jobs and still not be able to afford to buy or buy enough food and live a normal dignified life right where before in you know the american dream your husband works a job nine to five and is able to feed a whole family buy a car buy a house and take you on a vacation in the summer how have we gone from that wage to everybody works and nobody can afford anything? Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the, the property market explosion from the 80s on, um, where essentially, you know, sort of people were pushed through this, you know, through monetarism or Reaganism, as they call it in the US, I think, to, uh, to basically investing in properties in, in a sort of mass way um, and you know, establishing personal capital from that perspective. And then thereafter, in itself, you know, the home became that huge vehicle for uh, economic expansion. And, and I have a feeling that's also what led to the the crash in 2008, 2007, 2008. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, if, you know, I think in, in the 80s, you could basically get a mortgage, um, which was like, I don't know, two or maybe three to one ratio with your um, salary. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, it's, I mean, house prices or flat prices are basically, what, 10 times the, the the average wage in certain areas, it's even more depending on the kind of property, obviously. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it is absolutely uh, impossible to have a normal life. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's neoliberalism that you sort of spoke about. Um, maybe people know that term more than Reaganism, but Thatcher was involved in this as well. And they started the first ever... Um, experiment that they did it was in 73 in Chile when they um, when they organized the coup the Americans and then they sort of started the neoliberalist ex experiment and expanded it all across the world especially 
also after the Soviet Union collapsed, they expanded it to former Soviet countries, which is called the Shock Doctrine, actually, if anyone's interested. There's also a book by Naomi Klein um, discussing this because, um, you know, this goes not only to personal sort of experiences of, oh, I'm not able to buy a house. I, as a 20, nearly three-year-old, I know I will never probably be able to afford a house. Um, I know that that's something that is so far out of my reach that I shouldn't even be putting down as a goal, um, which is the reality for most people, right? Um, but Unfortunately, yeah. Exactly. Um, but this privatization of everything is, you know, they say, oh, well, we privatize everything. If you work hard, you can afford everything. That's not an issue, but that's just not how it works. So that's why, for example, to me, Germany is a great example because you have a socialist democracy, right? So you still have capitalism and you have, you know, the private sector, but you also have the state who catches you. That's the social part of it, right? If you're unemployed, you will always be able to have a house and have some food. That's what they do. They give you the bare minimum to give you at least an attempt at a dignified life. If you don't want it, you, you don't have to have it, right? You can decline all of it and you don't have to get money from the government. But to me, that's what it should be, right? We look out for the weakest links in our society and we all grow together rather than just this. The split is just ridiculous at this point. How, you know, the top 1%, how much they own, right? Like 99% of every of the whole wealth is owned by one one percent right by 30 something people mm. i mean how is that how is that real how is that the society we live in i don't know how i don't know how people can completely um blindly you know support capitalism it, it hurts everybody so. well yeah i mean but this is the this is a part of the the sort of misconception that we, you know, we have as we grow up. I mean, c capitalism refers to, I believe, the individual uh, growth of uh, property, assets, mm. um, and capital. Um, and and yet, in in many ways, what we're what we're referencing is corporatism, mm. um, where you've got these sort of vast organisations which um, you know build up wealth at an astronomical level. Um, and the individuals cannot in any way compete with that. So you know, the bigger and bigger these multinationals, uh, these corporates uh, become, the, the more powerful, the more influential they are. So, um, you know, any kind of government that has uh, designs on expansion of any sort, whether that is um, trade or military, they have to go to these same corporates because you know these corporates I did a whole research on this actually uh, in my last year of university we uh, it's called the uk unreducted and uh, it's a continuation of a previous um research that one of my professors dr sam Raphael, did um, and i was one of the students working on this and we actually looked at how you know how the uk is involved with saudi arabia and bahrain um and how um, how, who gets the contracts, who, how they're done, how the licensing works. And, you know, and the UK is always like, oh, we're not involved in any wars. And then they're literally supplying like 80 percent of the guns uh, that are used in um, Yemen by Saudi Arabia. And they say, oh, we, we're not involved at all. So, it's, you know, it, it, it goes to every single aspect of our lives. It's the same sort of process. You go to the big guy to go to the big dog and they got even more powerful and richer um, and then the rest of us lose basically 
Yeah, and uh, the, the higher up you go, the you know the, the contacts between the two, or the people, as it were, uh, the, these elites uh, becomes closer and you know ever more intertwined. So, uh, I mean, this is a bit like the old um, military doctrine where you never took out the the officers you only took out the the soldiers because the officers essentially they could be cousins you know they could be business partners uh, at the very least they're they're people of value who you can sort of trade back mm. uh, but but the little people the soldiers psh, you know fire at will basically Corn and butter. Mm. As, as you know as the german term kanonenfutter which is basically mm. cannon food um yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a weird place. This world. <laughs> There's a lot wrong with it. Yeah, there is a lot wrong with it, isn't it? But um, we wanted to also, you know, talk about something positive, and I think it's good to to end on uh, a positive note as well. So in part in our. Um, notes. Um, we wanted to talk about our in, our relationships with uh, our interactions and experiences with um, you know non-binary groups. So I, I, I because and and this was basically sh inspired by your your previous uh, talk with me when you know you, t you were talking about your dance experiences. Um, in Germany and the group and they made you feel so welcome uh, and, and it was also something that I, I experienced in one of my sort of teaching groups uh, specifically but um, also with every uh, you know sort of homosexual that I have spoken with so friendly so open understanding um, you know when, when they, when, whenever I've spoken with, um, so I, there was once uh, I had a homosexual student in Parma, and you know, he he used to come to to my home. We used to have our lessons and so on. And a few months later, after the course had stopped, I, I saw him in the street, and he was looking at me from the corner of his eye, you know, because he didn't know how I would react. So, I, and I, I made a point. I called out his name from across the street, and I went over and gave him a big hug. Mm. And he was so happy. Mm. Um, and I just feel that's the natural thing to do. I mean, how how would you go about things? Um, I, yeah, I think I, I to me, who you're sleeping with is like, I, I couldn't care less. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, you do you. You do you. I, I'm not the one to be here sitting, judging you as a person on your sexual preference. Um, and I think these communities the sort of not only um let's say gay people but these communities in general you know they're so welcoming because they understand how it is when you're discriminated against and when you're misunderstood and when you're being you know taken for what you're not and you're only judged on one part of your personality rather than who you are actually and I think that's why these communities are so open and so welcoming is because they just know how it feels to be left out, you know, out in the cold. Um, to me, in general, I mean, you know, if you're a shitty person, you're a shitty person. Um, but my experience with sort of the LGBT community has been overwhelmingly positive And as I said, extremely welcoming and just so pure usually because I think they're also just so sick of putting up, up a mask to the rest of the society oftentimes 
so if 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 you know you can it's the same for me if I can connect to somebody who understands me and is not judgmental towards me I will much be much sort of more open and lively and share so much more of myself and my personality than with someone who's there judging me or you know I have this all the time where in in university or some male professors would look at me in the beginning being like oh you're the blonde girl you know you're the I always <laughs> I always try to look sort of nice not for men but for myself contrary to the belief of the world women actually get ready for themselves mm. um, and you know I do that for myself and then they sort of misjudge me and underestimate me a lot and I'm like well just because I look a certain way doesn't mean my brain isn't functioning doesn't mean I'm not an intellectual person right so in a way I see it as like well, thank you. It, it makes my job easier because it's so much easier to prove you wrong and surprise you because you're already underestimating me so much. And I think it's similar um, with sort of all marginalized communities where you just go, how, why are you judging me on something that you don't even have a right to judge me on? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and, and I find friendliness, uh, to be honest, an honest, sincere friendliness to be the absolute, mo absolute most disarming way to approach new people. Um, you know, to, to simply, you know, assume that a group of people will be uh, defensive, will be um, unwelcoming, you know, it, that creates awkwardness and difficulty and unnecessarily uh, sort of prolongs um, mm. unity. Absolutely. Whereas if you approach a group with a smile, it's so different. And I think the most important thing that I've learned in London is I had a situation where um, I'm not going to go too much into detail because these are people that I'm actually very close with now. But there was a time where I was sort of made believe that um, I had to change who I was a little bit or at least filter myself in order to fit into a certain group um, and actually it turned out that I just had to be myself and now where I, I've learned this and I've understood it I you know I have these amazing friends who are all from this group um, and that's what I've learned is sort of contrary to whatever anyone says be you and then it's going to be easy because in the beginning when I was sort of pretending to filter myself or you know not being fully me they also didn't really like me because they were like well clearly something's up with her right like so she's, she's you know, something is not really right because I wasn't being true to who I am um so yes I think people should really try to keep their judgments to themselves um, until they have actually spoken to the person and then you can determine if if you can click with them or not but um, yes well there is this there is this saying isn't it if at first you don't succeed try and try again I mean that shouldn't only be about making money or winning uh, races and stuff that should also be about trying to understand people uh, and making friends exactly it sort of transpires all it, it, it takes you in, into every single level of, of your life, I think. Just be unapologetically you and don't harm anyone with that. But, you know, be you and then it's going to be so much easier for everybody involved. And you're going to find your people so much quicker when you're actually you and you don't put up with a group of people that you actually don't really care about or you can't connect with.
So that that would be my advice. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And don't prolong the inevitable. So, I mean, if it's not your group, you know, that your groups are everywhere. Mm. Uh, they just need to be identified. Um, absolutely. I mean, I have so many friends and people I know that I absolutely love. But my my fate is nobody is in London. I mean, I have local <laughs> But if I talk about my best friends, one of them is in Thailand, the other one is back in Latvia. You know, I have friends in Mexico or I have friends who like we, we meet and we're like, oh, my God, you're so amazing. We're, we're going to be such close friends. And then she moves back home to Jordan. You know, it's mm. that's my fate personally. Um, I hope to and whoever listens to this, um, you have your friends much closer to to home or wherever you are. But, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think the, the true wealth uh, or human wealth is in the relationships that we create um, and that we can help to grow. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's sort of what I've also realised is not what you know; it's who you know, and it doesn't only um, sort of work in work situations or you know for you to get a good interview or whatever because that's usually said in London you know oh if you want to get a job it's about who you know but mm. I think it's also true in life in general it's not about what you've learned or what you know it's about the people you're surrounding yourself with they are the re reflection of you um we also should also also should always remember that if a relationship is not necessarily working out what 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 is the part that you are playing in it because the relationship doesn't just you know go one way there's two people involved at least at least exactly so yeah a little bit of a philosophical approach to friendship <laughs> i guess <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and i mean it's harmless and also you know communicate talk you know when in doubt ask a question um it, it doesn't take rocket science um you know if you have a pre-existing relationship with a person because you've been friends uh it, you know if the shit hits the fan they're they're acting strangely ask what's going on can i help doesn't hurt yeah, absolutely i think in general we people are just so concerned about what people are going to think about us when we say this or do that and i think it's just we all should take ourselves a little bit less seriously and I say this to myself as much as I say this to anyone else actually right now um yeah it's you know just take take a step back and reevaluate what's going on and take care of the people you love that's the most important thing I think absolutely and b before I uh, yeah, bring down the curtain on a yet another fantastic talk with you, Anna, it's, I have a small bone to pick, which I, I think, I, I hope that uh, I'm not completely false in saying this, but I've been looking forward to a new blog post from you, but unfortunately, I haven't found one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's been a bit crazy um, in my life right now. I've, I've absolutely not been focused on writing. I'm writing my personal statement for my dissertation right now, so all my creative and academic writing skills are going into that right now but I do promise there's a post coming very soon um, I also have my birthday on Saturday so this weekend I'm going to be busy celebrating um, thankfully the COVID restrictions is allowing me and my friends to sort of uh, get together for a little little party um, thankfully most of us are also vaccinated so please don't come at me that I'm irresponsible that's not the case um, <laughs> But um, yes, I, I will post something soon, I promise. Good, 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 good. <laughs> All right. Uh, Anna, thank you very much. It's uh, 
it's refreshing to be able to speak so frankly um, and about such yeah, emotional subjects as well. So thank you very much for coming back. And I hope it won't be the last time. We'll chat many, many more times. Oh, we definitely will. I think we will always have something to discuss. So thank you for having me on here. Um, and thank you for giving me the platform to share my opinions and voices. And I'm just incredibly glad that it does resonate with people. Um, makes me feel better about myself and <laughs> makes me feel like I'm not delusional and I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> which is always good to know right yeah, it's always yeah. nice <laughs> excellent thank you very much take care thank you till next time two and a mic